Well, due to uncertain market forces beyond my control, troubling economic times, a bit of happenstance, maybe even negligence on the part of the company or even the invest, well, the investees and the investors too. So who knows? It's a combination of all these things. So nevertheless, the investment was sold and resold a number of times to different investors. And of course, it devalued because of it. And eventually, it became worth almost nothing. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. To join our community, go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and you'll receive the following five free benefits. First, you get the risk reduction checklist I created from the lessons I have learned from all my guests. Second, you get my weekly investment research email to help you increase return. Third, you get a 25% discount on all Dots Academy courses. Fourth, you get instant access to our Facebook community to get to know guests and fellow listeners. And finally, you get my curated list of the top 10 podcast episodes. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Marcus Udekang. Marcus, are you ready to rock? I am ready. <laughs> so let me introduce the world to you. Marcus Udekang is an IT consultant and a writer and presenter. He specializes in project management and business analysis, specifically business applications and requirements analysis and business process management. He has worked in various industries, including financial services, oil and gas, and IT training and education. He's also the host of the Inquisitive Analyst podcast and YouTube channel, which focuses on the triumphs and challenges within the area of project management and business analysis. Marcus, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Well, I think you've said it all pretty much. You've summed it up in a very poignant, short, to the point, matter of fact way. Mm. And maybe I can just ask a question that you and I were talking about before. You know, I think everybody understands project management, but the other part, business analysis, why does a company need business analysis and what is it? Well, the long and short of it is that business, business analysts really are conduits of change. So what, what business analysts do is they help to create change. They help to manage change within a business. And that means that you have to be able to see the big picture. What does the business want to change? And how can you help them do that? How can you go from a current state to a future state? And that's kind of what business analysts do. I mean, there's a lot of documentation involved. There's a lot of talking to stakeholders involved. There's a lot of back and forth between we've upgraded this software today. We, we have to tweak it here and tweak it there. There's quality assurance analysts involved and so on and so forth. There's many people involved in this whole entire process, including project managers. But the business analyst really is there to help put, they're the glue to help bring all these things together to take you from a current state to a future state to be able to implement those, those objectives of the business. And I guess the senior managers, you know, they're not going to be a specialist in a particular area like, oh, we need to upgrade our software or we need to come up with a better operating system or something so a business analyst can bring that expertise at the point, yeah. at the point that the business needs it. Yeah. That's interesting. And one last question is for people that, that listen into your podcast and YouTube channel, 
what would you describe as kind of the key takeaway that they get from that so that maybe some of the listeners would love to, you know, find a new podcast to listen to and get the winnings from that. I like to ask my guests at the beginning, tell me how you became a business analyst or a project manager. Take us through that path. You know, I find that 95% of the time, people tend to get to where they're going almost in a similar way. Usually it's by happenstance. Usually it's by circumstances, you know, they never planned it out. It just happened. But there obviously was a mental, there was a mindset behind it to make them continue to get to where they were. Mm. And each person, each person has a different story. So I like to listen to their unique stories. That's what gives it life. That's what gives it uniqueness. That's what gives it something different from each person is that each person has a different story to tell. It's a slightly different path, but they all kind of got to the same place. At the end I, of the day. I guess that's also pretty valuable for a young person that's working on their career and thinking about how they go when they hear these different pathways. I, I didn't like pay attention to that kind of stuff when I was young. And I'm surprised that so many young people do, you know, they're much more engaged and, and listening yeah. into stuff, you know, where I felt like I was just kind of on my own. I mean, there just weren't the resources in the same yeah. way that they are now. So yeah. hats off to you for, for doing that. And, you know, for all the listeners out there, go check out the Inquisitive Analyst podcast and YouTube channel and learn more. So now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Well, I should start by saying that I have been financially literate for many years. So just because you have the knowledge doesn't mean you won't fail. That's important to say, just to start out with. Now, I'm not great at financial literacy, but I'm good enough that I knew and I know what I'm doing. Most of this has been self-taught. I haven't really taken a course in it. I've watched, a, you know, I've read a lot of books. I've watched a few these days. It's all YouTube, but back in my day, it was all books. I've, you know, read, I've watched financial gurus, espouse all these sorts of ideas of the do's and the don'ts. But at the end of the day, I think that it's just being aware of the market, being aware of unpredictable financial forces, really being vigilant and somewhat disciplined when it comes to making money, spending money, and saving money. So that's kind of where, where I'm at. So having said that, there's a certain degree of happenstance, risk, and also a large part of trust, I think, that one really takes in any investment, whether it's high risk or whether it's low risk. So that's important to know. And I took a big risk, a very big risk. Looking back, I, I knew it was a risk, but I didn't think it was a huge risk. It was just a big risk in investing in what I invested in. Now, probably because I worked for this company, so I trusted them a bit more than I would normally. And I believe that it was probably a sound investment at the time, many people in the city had invested in this company and they had done very well. I went off to buy a car and the guy said, where do you work? I told him, he said, I, I put money in with these guys and I, you know, I waited 10 years and I doubled my money. I thought, oh, I'm working for a good company. A good friend of mine said, oh, where do you work? I told him, oh, I put money in them. And a few years later, I cashed and I made my money. I thought, you know what? This is, this is solid. This must be good. I know there's risk. We all know there's risk, but I'll do it. I'll put the money away. I'll invest with them. And of course, well, due to uncertain market forces beyond my control, troubling economic times, a bit of happenstance, 
maybe even negligence on the part of the company or even the invest, well, the investees and the investors too. So who knows? It's a combination of all these things. So nevertheless, the investment was sold and resold a number of times to different investors. And of course, it devalued because of it. And eventually it became worth almost nothing. Now, technically speaking, I still get my little piece of paper every quarter telling me that there's money in it, but it's not anywhere near what it used to be. So whether or not I'll receive back any of the pittance that's left, that's remaining, I don't know. But that's my story. Got it. So tell us, how would you summarize the lessons that you learned from this story? I knew prior to investing what I was going into, like I said, but I thought the risk was much less than it turned out to be. Mm. If you know that there's risk, think twice. That's one lesson. Think twice, even if it's low risk. And looking back, I'd be inclined to even think three times about it. You know, mm. oh, there's low risk. There's low risk. You know, the second thing I'd say is diversify your investments. It's not to say I wasn't diversified, but I had a lot invested here, far more than I did in other areas. So diversify your investments. Think two or three times before you invest it, even if the risk is low. And if you decide to go through with it, if it seems like it's a good investment, assuming that you've done your research, that's another part, definitely part three, do your research. Invest small, don't invest big. Like I said, spread out your eggs so that if one doesn't hatch, you got two or three others to deal with. So that's, that's what I would say. Great, great lessons. Maybe I'll summarize what I took away from it. I wrote down a few things, you know, first of all, is kind of the, you talked about validation. You know, when you got the feedback from the guy at the car dealership and your friends and this and that, and you, you see it in the newspaper, it's like, it validates your idea. And this is very dangerous. And in fact, in really, really professional financial world investment companies, some of the best out there, they have a devil's advocate on the team. And so when one person proposes an investment, because you know, you're investing other people's money, it's funny how we can get really loose with our own money. But when we invest others, we get really serious. And they'll have a devil's advocate. So someone will present the thesis that we should buy this company. And then there'll be one person assigned to say, we should never buy this company. We should never touch it. And here are all the risks. And that's just one way of kind of managing the assessment of risk. And that brings me to the next thing, which is the difference between managing and assessing risk. So when we talk about assessing risk, we're talking about before we get into something. When we talk about managing risk, we're talking about how we handle it once we're in it. What's the percentage? Let's say you bought it and it went up, you know, and all of a sudden you thought, well, I was going to put, I was already putting 20% of my money in it, which is a lot. And now it's 25% because it went up. Hmm, maybe I, I could always go down to 10. So it's that concept of diversification, like you say, you know, and then taking that money and putting it into something else. So that brings us to the other one, which is managing your risk. And that means keeping an eye on it and deciding how much you want to allocate to it. The benefit of investing in publicly listed companies is that you can generally get in and out until if they get in trouble, then you can't. And that really takes me to the last thing that I thought of when I, you were talking, and that is timing is everything because there's great, I mean, every dog has its day and every great company starts to fail. And the fact is just because it made money for another person doesn't mean it's going to make money for you. And, you know, it just can be that 
market conditions, industry conditions, change in management, and all of a sudden your timing was bad. Anything you'd I think, add? Yeah. No, I think you're 100% correct. It definitely was timing. For timing for the other folks, it worked just fine. Timing for me just didn't. Yeah, definitely. And I think I'd add on to that. that one of the things that's not that common in the world of investing, because particularly like long-term investors, they say, I like this company. And if the stock price falls, I'm going to buy more. But for the typical, let's say the average investor that doesn't really know that much about investing, I think my lessons that I, that I teach is number one, you know, be diversified, try to have maybe 10 different investments, 10 different stocks if you're going to invest in the stock market. And then the second thing is use stop losses. Hmm. And I've found a lot of value in that, particularly for someone who's not super experienced. So you just say, look, I'm buying this at 100, and if it goes to 85 or 80, mm. then either I'm automatically telling my broker today when I buy it, you sell it if it gets to 80, or you have a signal that tells you I'm out of it if it hits 80. And I've found by just testing kind of randomly selected portfolios in different markets and imagining, let's say, 1,000 people picking randomly invested portfolios in 10 stocks and, and doing that over and over for like 20 years, what I found is that stop losses added a lot of value. So mm -hmm. that's an important part because, you know, sometimes if it's the wrong timing, a stock could just fall or an investment could just fall. And, you know, you may pick the right company, you just bought it at the wrong time. So get out and wait for it to come down and then reconsider it. So yeah, lo lots of lessons from that experience. So let me ask you, based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? If anything, if anything, COVID, I think, has taught us the necessity for saving for contingency. I say it again. COVID has taught us the necessity for saving for contingency. Save, save, save for a rainy day. And I heard this so many over so many years. My father told it to me. My mentors told it to me. My financial investors told it to me. But what's a rainy day? Ah, well, the day that it actually rains and I can't go out or the day that my favorite TV show is not on, I don't know, you know, it's small things like that. But when it really hits you, okay, fine, I didn't get paid today. I'll get paid next week. Mm. But you're always getting paid. Now, people don't have jobs. People aren't getting paid. Now, it's not just one rainy day, it's many rainy days. It's not just one week or two weeks not just a few months, it's been a year and a half. I've seen businesses open up, obviously, and during COVID, two months later, they're gone, closed down. They've been around for years. How did that happen? Well, because they didn't save for a rainy day. And that goes not just for businesses, but also for people, individuals like you and I. So they say have more than two months of salary saved or have six months. The big thing was have six months of salary saved because it takes you about six months to find another job. But you know what I'd say? I'd say have at least a year's salary saved. Now that you've always seen it, you know? So irrespective of any, any investment faux pas, mm. there are some basic financial tenets I think anyone and everyone should abide by. And yeah. as also, there's nothing better than the story of the turtle and the hare. It's an old story that we've all had. I grew up with it as a child. Slow sometimes wins the race. Take your time to invest over a lifetime. Start early. That's a given. If you're going to start when, you know, maybe if you're a teenager and your parents help you out, great, even better. 
But you know, once you graduate from university or college and you start working, even if you don't go to university or college, they say put away 10%. I'd say put away 20 or 30%. Yep. Great because advice. you know, I I know people who even say 50%. Yeah. I know it's harder when you're married and you have kids and so on, but if you have two incomes, maybe you can talk about it and, and try and minimize. I'm not saying be a minimalist, but you know, just be careful. So do your research, do your own investing, keep up with financial news, yeah. you know, regardless of whether whether you make investments or not. So that's a, there's some real science in that recommendation because money that you save and invest at a young age has many more years to multiply and grow exponentially. So it is true that you should be actually saving a huge amount at a young age and it will make your life so much easier. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Keep doing what I enjoy. Could be reading, writing, speaking at events, doing a bit of travel if when if yeah. we're allowed to after COVID, enjoying the weather, taking a bike ride, keep investing, keep saving, but do what you enjoy and do it well. Beautiful. But I should say, last but not least, keep loving even your enemies. I hate mm-hmm. to say that, but you never know. Yes, resentment rots the container it's in. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To achieve this, I've created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com. See you there. As we conclude, Marcus, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words? for the cheering crowd. I'd say, and this also, this goes more so to Canadians and Americans, be open to financial literacy for you and your family. Money is taboo in this country and no one likes to talk about it, but everyone likes to make it and spend it. So I think it starts from the family. We rarely talk about it as a subject. I think families should be talking about money on a regular basis. That doesn't mean you have to be an open book about intimate financial dealings, no, but it means that on the topic of savings, on the topic of investing, on the, you know, it should be at the core of daily conversations. And I think it's central to many Asian countries talk about money all the time, money and family, it's center. So I think, I think we should probably start doing the same thing, you know, talking about money. Great, great stuff. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.